0: It's Palm Sunday. What does that mean? Is that just about bushes? That we like palm trees? No? No, not really. That's not really what it's about. What did it mean, do you think, 2,000 years ago, when the people of Jerusalem, because that's where it took place, took palm branches, so there was trees and shrubs like this with palm branches on them, and they also took their coats off, and they laid them in the street, and they welcomed Jesus into town. What did it really mean? It really has one main point of significance. It really, it really does, and it started a war, a spiritual war, and it was this. Jesus came into town, and he said, guess what, folks, I'm the king. Now, Elvis thought he was the king, but Jesus, you know who Elvis is? Mike, have you ever heard of Elvis? Yeah, okay. So look him up on YouTube today. He's not the king. Some ladies in here 20 years ago thought he was, or 30 years ago, but he's not. Jesus came into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, and he said, he was saying through his actions, I am king, and we're going to look at that in a few minutes when we look at the scriptures. But let's think about something else. Is Palm Sunday supposed to have more significance to us than just a commemorative day where we're remembering what some people 2,000 years ago did and what Jesus said? And I would say the answer to that is, is yes. It's an annual reminder to us that Je- about who Jesus really is. And I think there's a lot of confusion in this world, and a lot of confusion in this church maybe, about who Jesus really is. There's a lot of people in our world who think it's okay to talk about Jesus as long as you talk about him as some nice guy who wore a robe and he always held the lamb. He petted the lamb. Is it petted or pet? He pet the lamb. He pet the lamb. And and he preached about non-violence, right, and love. That's what he went around. He was like a 60s version of something. Peace and love. That's what people think about a lot of times with Jesus. That's their view of Jesus. But Palm Sunday reminds us that there is a lot more to Jesus than that wrong idea. That Jesus is a king. And that's who he is. In fact, he's not just a king, that he is the king. That his kingdom that he's ushered, that he ushered in that at the 2000 years ago began to usher in, his kingdom is the ultimate kingdom and that he is the supreme king and that scripture tells us that someday, and we don't know when, but every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and we could say, and king. And his intention for us today, 2,000 years later, is to be your king. To actually have your life be affected in such a way that he is the king of your life. That he is king, and if he is king, guess who is not king? I'm not. That he is king and I am not. That he is king and I and you are his followers. So let's look at what the Bible says about the original poem Sunday, that day that Jesus declared himself as king, and see what we can learn about Jesus. So grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter twenty one. Fire up your iPhones, Matthew twenty one. And I'm gonna read kind of the whole story from verse one all the way to verse fourteen of that day. In my Bible, the heading is the triumphal entry. So Jesus is coming in triumph into Jerusalem. You there? All right. It says, when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. That's super important here. Spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats and most of the crowd spread their coats in the road and others were cutting branches for the trees and spreading them in the road. And the crowds going along ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Think about it. On that day, Jesus began his last week of earthly ministry and life. He began what what we call, matter of fact, make movies about it, we call the Passion Week. And to start that week off, he took two of his disciples and he, he sent them to get a donkey. To go into town, get it, bring it out, so that he could ride into town on a donkey. Have you ever read this and said, why in the world would God find it necessary to include Jesus' mode of transportation in the story? Why Why would the Spirit inspire the author of Scripture to say how Jesus got into town? Because it's super important. Because it told the crowd in Jerusalem something very important on that day. You see, entering Jerusalem the way he did, told everybody that he was the promised king. That the one that scripture said would someday come to them. When he rode into town on a donkey that day, he was fulfilling a 500-year-old prophecy from the prophet Zechariah. And who, who the people had known was prophesied, and they were hoping someday it would happen. They didn't know when, but they, they knew it was from God, and someday it would happen. And friends, that's what verse 5 is all about. Now look at your Bible at verse 5 of chapter 21. Point something out to you that maybe you didn't notice. Do you notice how the wording looks different, the type is different, or maybe it's set in a little more? That's because it's trying to say, listen, this is a quote from somewhere else. It's saying, this This is a quote that was taken from the prophet Zechariah. It was said elsewhere in scripture, and now we're quoting it here. That's what verse 21.5 is all about. It's saying this. It's saying, Zechariah, 500 years ago, had this to say, and now it's being fulfilled. He said, say to the daughter of Zion, or to the people of God, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt the foal of a beast of burden. So Jesus comes, interesting, he doesn't get on the mom, he gets on the the colt, and some translations translate it this way, that an unbroken colt. Now if you know anything about donkeys or horses, that in and of itself is a miracle. Because you don't get an unbroken colt and ride it into town, but but Jesus does. And he gets on the foal of the beast of burden, the baby in other words, the smaller one, and Jesus rides into Jerusalem sitting on this on this donkey and he's coming in a particular way It says, and it quotes it it says he comes in a gentle manner and that friends is so important because Jesus everybody thought he was going to be this king this insurrectionist but Jesus comes in fulfillment of scripture in a very gentle way not as some political um, leader saying let's overthrow the government but he comes in love and he comes in peace And through his actions, coming gently, riding on a donkey into town, through his actions, what he's saying is he's saying openly for the first time to the people who know the prophecies, I am the king sent from God. I am the fulfillment of prophecy. I am the one you have been hoping for and you've been praying for. And you say, but did the people get it? They absolutely got it you know how we know they got it? Number one, they're shouting to him, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the, of the, of the Lord. But beyond that, what happened on his crucifixion? And his crucifixion, they, they're, they're killing him and they did something with a sign. What did they do? They took a sign and they put it above his head. And Remember what it said on it? This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. The people understood what was going on. His message came through loud and clear on that day. I am the king sent from God to establish the kingdom of God. So what happens with the crowd? They're filled with excitement. And so they give them a king's welcome. They cut the branches off the bushes and they take their coats and they lay them in the road. And they begin to shout. They're having a, a welcoming party. Hosanna, which means save now. In other words, he's saying this, rescue us. In our wording, that's how we would say it. Hey, Jesus, rescue us, son of David. It's a king's welcome. They're saying, you're king, establish your kingdom and rescue us from this oppression. Now let's understand something about the crowd. That crowd that praised Jesus that day, they're welcoming as king. They misunderstood what it meant for Jesus to be king and for him to establish his kingdom. You see, they saw him as just as one anointed by God who would save them from Roman oppression. That he would be another version of a Moses who saved them, the people of God, from the Egyptians. They thought that Jesus would be a political leader, a political king, and that's what they had hoped for because the Jews found themselves under Roman oppression. Imagine how they lived. They had incredibly heavy taxation from the Roman Empire. And then they had people like some of Jesus' followers who were tax collectors who not only collected what the Romans said needed to be collected, but then bumped it up and robbed them even more. So they're under heavy taxation. They had all kinds of restrictions on what they couldn't do and could do. Matter of fact, we, we think about this from the from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talking about going a second mile. He's talking about Roman oppression. That what happens is you're walking down the street doing your business, whatever you have to do, and a Roman could stop you and say, John, you got to carry my gear for a mile. Jesus said, "We'll oh, go a second mile. It was oppression. Think about the crucifixion scene. One of the things we think about the crucifixion is that we have a man from the country who's coming to town doing his business. The Romans stop him and say, now you carry the cross. What happens, they were under oppression and under restrictions and they were under executions. They could run rampant over them. Do something wrong, we kill you. Crucifixion wasn't unusual in their day. It's how they punished the people that keep them in line. You don't do what they tell them to do? Execute you, nail you to a cross. So they're living under this incredible oppression. And so they wanted a king. What do they want? They wanted a liberator. That's what they wanted. Someone to set them free. And you imagine it, Jesus rides in the town, but Jesus isn't a nobody who rides in the town. He's been ministering for three years and think about the kind of things he's been doing. For three years. They saw Jesus go up to a blind man, spit in some mud, rub it in his eyes, and the man can see. They saw Jesus one time teaching the multitudes that had 5,000 men, not to mention women and children, and it gets near dark, and, and he says, what do we have to feed them with? And the disciples say, well, we don't have anything but five loaves and a couple of fish. And Jesus says, That's enough. And he begins to break it and pass it out, the fish and the bread. And all 5,000 men and all the women and all the children are fed. And at the end of the day, there's 12 baskets full of the leftover food. They saw him heal the, the lame and the, and the lepers, the unclean. Don't come near me. Unclean, unclean lepers. And Jesus walks up to him. That's what he couldn't do. He touches them and they're better. They saw him raise the dead. Lazarus, come forth. And here he comes, bound, hopping out of the tomb. And he tells the people, unwrap him of the grave clothes. They had seen all this stuff. Now he's riding in on a donkey, gently, in fulfillment of the prophecy. And they've got to say, surely, such divine power and authority, Jesus is the one, he's going to set us free so they shouted. They weren't afraid of the Romans right now. Because imagine, they could be in trouble for causing a riot. But instead, they're like, we don't care about you, Rome, right now. Not right now. He's coming. We, we've read about this before. God's done it before. God's going to do it again. And they shout, and they have a party. And they welcome Jesus as king. And just think about it. It didn't stop there. In their minds, the timing is absolutely perfect if they they understood biblical history. It was approaching the Passover. Do you know what the Passover was a a symbol of? The the Passover was a remembrance. Where's the word Passover come from? It's from the night, the last night that the the Jews were in bondage to the Egyptians. And God had done the plagues, and the last plague was this. He said, listen, I'm going to kill the firstborn of everyone. You won't let my people go. But some people's firstborns weren't killed. Why? Put blood, kill a lamb, have, a, have this ceremony, take the bland, put up of oh, this, this plant, and sprinkle the blood on the doorpost. And everywhere, every house that had blood on the doorpost, what did the death angel do? He passed over. And they're going, we're going to celebrate the Passover. The timing is perfect. This was the exact kind of situation when God set our people free in the past. For them, the Passover was, they think of the Passover the way we think of 4th of July. It's a celebration of freedom, of declaring freedom. We're not under oppression anymore. We've been set free. So they're saying 4th of July is tomorrow. when We've been set free when our people have been set free. And now, maybe, just maybe, something like that would happen again And Jesus would lead them from Roman bondage into freedom. So on that day, the people received Jesus as their king. They stood there without fear of the Romans, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And friends, it was a great day for the people. Their years of suffering were almost over. That's what they thought. Jesus would be, would be, would be inaugurated as king and put in position as king and they'd be set free. They didn't know all the details, but they'd know it happened before and it's going to happen again. That was the, that was the electricity of that day. But you know what? They misunderstood what it meant for Jesus to be king. They didn't understand that he would have to suffer and die on a cross to be the kind of king that they needed instead of what they wanted. See, their hope was for a political leader. But Jesus being king was so much more than that. Their view of Jesus was was way too small. And their hope for Jesus was much too little. They saw Jesus simply as a man. Empowered by God to do God's work. It was amazing work, but empowered by God to do God's work. But Jesus is so much more. He isn't just a king. He is the king because he isn't just empowered by God. Jesus is God. Now, I don't blame them for having a too small view of God. I don't have, of Jesus rather. I don't blame them for having a too small view of Jesus. If I had been one of them or you had been one of them, we probably would have misunderstood the same way because it makes logical sense. And I'd say this, maybe it's possible that even some of us in this room today misunderstand Jesus and who he is. That he's just maybe a man or a good teacher. Friends, he's so much more than just a man or a moral teacher. And the Apostle Paul Helps us understand what they couldn't understand on that day. Helps us because he understood. He had the the blessing of of hindsight and revelation. And so the Apostle Paul helps us understand the magnitude of who Jesus really is. And I want us to to look at one of the clearest places in all the Scripture where the Apostle Paul explains to us who Jesus really is. So flipping your Bibles to the book of Colossians, the first chapter. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 13. This is the kind of section of Scripture you could just gloss over, but if you gloss over this, you're glossing over the the detail of the amazingness of who Jesus is. Starting in verse 13 in chapter 1, look what it says. It's talking about Jesus here. For he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Friends, i stop right there. When he came on that day and he came as king, he was declaring war against the king of the kingdom of Satan. About the kingdom of darkness. If you don't believe it's true that that such a thing exists. It's right here. He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is a visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavens, in the heavenly realms, and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Friends, Jesus is so much more than just some religious leader or political insurrectionist. Look at some of the things it says here about Jesus. It says he is the king of, the, of God's kingdom, the one who rescues us from the kingdom of darkness. The only way to get out of the kingdom of darkness, the only way to be set free is through Jesus. Look at it says. He is the visible image of the invisible God. Friends, when we can't grasp who God is, we can't. God understands that. God knows he created us. So Jesus has come to us as one of us so we can understand God more fully. We see how Jesus is and we understand that's who God is. When we see Jesus, we see God. One day the disciples were saying, show us the Father and it's enough. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long you don't know who I am? When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is saying, when you understand me, you understand God. Friends, you want to know if your ideas about who God is and how God acts are correct? Then do this simple, simple thing. Ask a question. Do they line up with what you see in Jesus? If you want to understand God, then look at Jesus, because Jesus is God. What else does Paul say about him? It says he existed before anything was created. So Jesus isn't created himself. He's part of the eternal Godhead, the eternal trinity. Jesus is eternal. Friends, no other leader of, a, of another religion is eternal. Muhammad's not re- eternal. Buddha is not eternal. Only Jesus has always existed. He existed in the glory of the trinity Before the world was created. And imagine this. He left that glory to come to earth. To reveal God in such a way that we can better grasp what God is like. And then to give his life in our place. That's what Passion Week is about. Friends, what an amazing king. Think of another thing that Paul points out. It says, it was Jesus who created everything. Say this with me. Say everything. Everything. Does it say almost everything? Does it say some things? You know, I don't know if it's true or not, but did you see that on the news recently, they say that this, they have bought a picture of the first ever black hole. Anybody see it? I'm not sure if that's what it is, but it's a, it's a pretty amazing picture, and it's this ring with this light around it, and it's supposed to be a black hole that sucks everything into it, you know? Um, they think they got the first picture. Guess what? Jesus created everything. You and me, the world around us, the cosmos, the all the universes. Jesus created everything, heaven, earth, everything. What we can see, and get this, we could see a black hole maybe. Maybe we got the first picture. But it says something even more amazing than that. It says, he created the things we can see and the things we can't see. And then he goes a list, gives a list of them. Things like thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. He's saying there's the whole spirit world. And Jesus created it. Jesus is no puny king that needs to worry about the strength of some other king. He made all kings and all kingdoms. He said even those in the unseen spiritual world. Do you understand why we never need to live in fear if Jesus is our king? If Jesus is your king... You never need to live in fear. Because he is above everything because he created everything. That's who Jesus is. That's who rode in town on a donkey. What else? King Jesus is the head of the church. Guess who's not the head of the church? Even this church. Everybody point at me. That's fun. I'll point at me. Come on, go ahead. You can point in church. Come on. Oh, thank you, Sam. Thank you. I'm not the head of the church. Some of you need to hear something else. You know who else is not the head of the church? The Pope. The Pope's not the head of the church. I'm not the head of the church. The Pope's not the head of of the church of Jesus Christ. Guess who's the head of the church of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ. He is the one who said that he would build his church and even all the power of hell could not defeat it. Why? Because he is the head. He is the king. And if he created everything, even those who rejected him and rebelled against him, Satan and his, and his kingdom, which he, which he will someday eventually um, destroy, then he's bigger than it, better than it, more powerful. Than it. He can control and defeat everything. This is Jesus' church, and we can trust him to protect it. We can trust him to provide for it. We can trust him in every way. Are we maybe starting to understand that Jesus is a lot more than just the political leaders that the Jews that day hoped he would be? Paul says this, He's King Jesus also does something else. He reconciles lost humanity with God and makes us holy and blameless. You want to you come face-to-face with a miracle today? Okay, you all pointed at me. Now I want you all to do something else. I want you to point at you. Put your finger right in the center of your chest. Ready? Can you do that? All right. All of us. Listen to what Paul says about you in verses 20 through 22 of Colossians 1. And through him, Jesus God reconciled everything there's that word again everything to himself he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross this includes you did I make those words up no this includes you it says who were once far away from God you were his enemies enemies Separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. You want to know who you are in Christ? He has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and you are blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Look what Jesus offers to any, and it says every one of us, any one of us. We were, maybe you are today. You're feeling separated from God. Not living with him as your king. We were all like Adam and Eve at one time. We all sin and we run and we hide from God and we live our own way where we are king. And the problem is that we live that way, that the sin has consequences and and we end up a mess and we can't fix it and we may try, but we can't fix the problems that sin creates. But enter Jesus on a donkey into Jerusalem of your heart and he is the peacemaker. He is the reconciler. He tears down the barrier of sin between us and God. He brings mankind together with God through his death. He died in our place. He defeated sin for us. And he set us free to live free from the chains of sin. It says he made us holy and blameless. The next time you look in the mirror, take a Colossians 1 and say, Who does God say I am? Not who does my, not the, not the voices from my childhood where I was told I was dumb and can't, where you were told you're, you're ugly or incomplete, not the lies from a spouse who hurts you or a parent who hurts you, but God's word to you. You look in the mirror and you say, you know who I am? I'm holy and blameless before the Lord. That's all that matters, friends. That's how God looks at you when you are in Christ. That's how he looks at me today. Why? Because he is king. He created it all. And then he said, you know what? I created it. I've come as one of you. I'm going to now reveal who God is and I'm going to now give my life in your place. And all the punishment any one of us deserves, he took on himself in agony on the cross. But then he said something on the cross. It is finished. He said, it's broken, it's done. I've inaugurated my kingdom, I'm here now, and you come into my kingdom, and I make you pure and holy and blameless when you're in me, when I'm king, and you enter into my kingdom. That's what Palm Sunday is all about. It's about powerful King Jesus establishing his kingdom and knowing that today he still says to you and me, Here I am. You can join with me in my kingdom. And you know what? When you're in Christ, you're holy and you're blameless. And you don't have to fear because he created everything. And he's got it all under control. Even though sometimes we feel like it's not under control, it's all under control because he's got a plan. And you know what? He came this once, this first time. He came to live and do this perfect life and revealed to us the Father and die in our place and make us holy and pure. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father waiting for the time he's going to come back and establish his rule forever and ever and ever and ever and ever as king. That's who Jesus is. He is the one who purchased your freedom, forgave you of your sins because he can, because he's king. And every one of us has the opportunity every day in our lives. The same opportunity those people did on that day. That first, first Palm Sunday. We can receive Jesus as king. And if you say, yeah, I did that 20 years ago. You ask yourself a question. Am I living like that? Is Jesus really my king? Or am I living in the kingdom of Mark? I want to live in the kingdom of Jesus. Let's stand together this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you that you ride into our lives as King. And on this day, Lord, we join with the crowds that shouted, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the King. Hosanna, deliver us now, set us free. Lord, you've given us that great, incredible opportunity, that gift of freedom in Christ. And now, Lord, we just come to the point of saying, in in reality, in our lives, every one of us standing before you this morning and asking the question of ourselves and asking for insight from you and saying this, is Jesus really my king? Have I honestly said yes to Jesus? Not on my terms. Not on my terms. And that's one of the things that happens, church, as we're, as we're praying this morning, as, as we're with our attitude to tur- toward, turned towards God, is we sometimes say yes to Jesus, but we think it's just on our terms, and he lets us do that for a while. But there needs to come a day When you say it's not about me anymore, it's not about me thinking I'm king and I somehow say, well, this is what I think, which is what we normally do. But a day of saying, no, he either is my king or he's not my king. And as you look at your life this morning, no condemnation, no guilt, because God only reaches down to us out of pure love. If you're here today and you say, you know what? As I look inside, I really, I really can say that, that I'm king of my kingdom. But I want to be part of his powerful kingdom. Because when I think about it, and I ask myself that I've always done it on my terms, and I ask myself this question, well, how's it working for me? The reality is it's not working all that well. How's it working for me? doing it my way. Yeah, yeah, acknowledging Jesus, but not really embracing him as king. How's it working for me? How's it working for you? And as we're in a private moment of prayer right now, our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed, we're just allowing the Spirit to speak to us. Do you want to say yes to Jesus the way those people in Jerusalem did that day? That they opened them with, with open arms. They said, yes, be my king. If that's you today with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. And you say, you know, Pastor Mark, I'm honestly ready to say yes to Jesus. If that's you, I want you to raise up your hand. And when I see it, I want you to have an action. I want you to do something. I want you to raise up your hand. And when I see it, I'm going to have you put it back down. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Well, Father, you see us standing before you today. And Lord, this is what I know. That when we say yes to you, it's a response to what you're saying to us. And so this day, Lord, we know that you're calling us by name. And every one of us, as you're calling our names, we say, yes. Yes, be king of my life. Be Lord of my life. Bring me in. Make me brand new. Help me to see myself the way you see me. Is holy and blameless in your sight. Help us, Lord, to walk in the freedom that comes from being children of God in the kingdom of God. Walking in that freedom today. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are king. And now help us as we live our lives, as we walk out of this place with you as Lord and king. Lord, establish your kingdom through us wherever we go. We thank you for that in Jesus' name.